are you doing? Hello. From deep cuts to future classics. On location and behind the scenes. Somewhere between reasonable and crazy. It was no more complicated than that. Let's skip intro and find out what to watch on Netflix. Coming up. Ibiza. Oi, Ibiza. Ibiza. As a mank, it was probably more Ibiza. They were properly fully formed. And as soon as they walked on stage and played, you thought they are just going to be massive. Here's where she is when she begins. And then it ends in this very epic kind of climax. I just, I'll get goosebumps now when I talk about it. Because I think anything that makes you feel something like that is well worth a watch. I don't believe we've met. What's your name? Hello, I'm Dottie. And welcome back to season two of What to Watch on Netflix. Now, the last time we met, I was sat mere inches from Ricky Gervais shaking his hand in a room full of people. You know, a bit like normal life. Some <laughs> tissues have just come in. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking afterlife, and then, well, the world went south. Now, we may be in isolation, distancing ourselves from those we love, and quite frankly, those we're quite happy to be away from. But if the past few months have taught us anything, it's that we'd be nowhere, nowhere without something decent to watch. Now, we hear you, man. You've done Tiger King. You're crowned out. And love isn't so much blind as not even allowed to get to second base, mate. But over the next eight weeks, What to Watch on Netflix will do its best to prize you out of that viewing fog and break you out of your comfort zone. So this season, each episode will be taken on a different genre, examining what makes it work so well on screen and we'll go delving deep for some amazing shows you may not have even thought of watching. Now, as addicted to Netflix as I am, I couldn't do this alone. So I'm going to be joined by some of the world's biggest Netflix stars, critics, journalists, podcasts, and all-round gurus to discuss and deliberate. And later on, Gina's making a welcome return to tell you what's dropping today. Now, over the next couple of months, we'll be sifting through food, true crime, sports, and reality TV, amongst others. But first up and itching to get out of the wings and in front of a baying crowd, I give you the music episode. I truly believe that hip-hop was always going to be a New York thing. <laughs> and then it's like, wait a minute, they making hip-hop in California? Have you bring it home, pass it on. I wanted it to be something that you could call on when things were good. Get out while we're young. And when things were not so good. Everywhere in the world today, Bob Marley is the symbol of freedom. Why would anybody want to hurt Bob? This was that do or die album. Put my body into this record. I'm playing it for everybody. For some reason, everybody's turning me down. In three years, Oasis will have gone from being a new signing to one of Rock's true giants. What happened to you in those three years? So that's a big question. It is a big question. And it deserves a big answer. School is now in session. The evolution will be televised. Joining me this week are three people who really know their tunes. He's the star of the sensational new Netflix series, White Lines. He's all over Radio 1, and he's even been in Phineas and Ferb. It's Kel Spellman. <laughs> Hello, pleasure. mate. Thanks. Hello, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Also, Miranda Sawyer is one of the most respected music journalists and authors in the country, cutting her teeth at the legendary smash hits. Her words have found their way into the face, select, and mix mag. And we're delighted she's fired up her Zoom 
to join us today. Hello, Miranda. Hiya. <laughs> How are you? Lovely to be here. Lovely to see your home behind you. This is intimate. Oh, it's a dump. It's my office, sorry. It is a bit of a dumping ground. This is actually a spare room, so it's just where all the other stuff is. Just from what's behind you, I'm getting to know you already. Oh, God, really? <laughs> we'll discuss that picture uh, later on. Uh, and finally... From all the way over in the States comes no less than a podcasting legend. Song Exploder has been described as probably the best use of the podcast format ever, which, how's that supposed to make us feel on this? I don't, this is, this is unfair. The format is simple, yet deadly effective. Uh, a songwriter dissects one of their often very famous tracks, discussing the writing and recording of it before the song is played in full. Now, guests have included The Killers, Damon Albarn, Robin, Fleetwood Mac, Janelle Monáe, and Big Boy. Uh, when he's not doing Song Exploder, he just snips off and makes the also amazing West Wing Weekly. Rishikesh Hairway, welcome to What to Watch on Netflix. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. How is everybody? Everybody keeping sane? As far as it goes, all things considered, I'm, um, I'm good. You know, I'm fortunate to have a garden and a lot of green spaces. So I cannot complain, Dotty. That Radio One money, eh? Giving you some outdoor space. <laughs> I wish I could say that. I'm at my parents' house, so uh, soon burst that bubble. Rishi, what is what is lockdown like in, in the States right now? I think it's, you know, scary as it is for, for everyone. I, I feel pretty lucky and grateful for uh, having a house and, yeah, having a little bit of a yard, being able to walk out. Although right now it's it's 96 degrees Fahrenheit here in Los Angeles, so I'm not spending too much time outside. I'm escaping it as much as possible. Wow. That's like 34 degrees. It's 30-something, yeah. Oh, God, that Oof. would be... That would shut our country down. Uh, Miranda, how much is music so. saving you right now? You haven't got a garden. So you, are you listening to a lot of music, watching a lot of TV? Now I'm in lockdown with my kids. And really? my, it's, it's interesting. There'll be a point in the day where we're all doing different things. One will be on playing a computer game. I'll be listening to music or podcasts. You know, it's all different. And then in the evening, we join up and we try and find something that we can all watch together, which is quite hard because my kids are nine and 14. There's a few things on Netflix that we watched that we really enjoyed. We enjoyed um, The Umbrella Academy. That's really brilliant for watching with kids. Uh, it's a kind of like people born with superhero qualities that they don't really know what's going on. It's just, it's a really fun series. And we watched that and that was a huge success. So Look, you're giving Thank us you gems Netflix. already, Miranda. <laughs> we haven't even got to the recommendations yet. Oh, I know. Sorry, well, I'll recommend it again because it is really good. No, this is, this is great. <laughs> the more the merrier. I have assembled this Motley crew to talk music, though. Uh, and first up in this series, it is a brand new show which, whilst not strictly a music show, is firmly entrenched in one of the most sacred musical islands on the planet. That place is Ibiza. The show is White Lines. And we're not talking about road markings, my friends. <laughs> Just give me an hour, guys. I can get you the drugs and the money. Sorry. They were Axel's best friends. They all seemed pretty suspicious. When did you last see him? At his party. It was wild. We went through this 20 years ago. I'm not doing it again. He's hiding something. From the writer of Money Heist and producer of The Crown, White Lines tells the story of a murdered DJ legend who's... In, in fact, why am I doing this, Kel? It's time for you to <laughs> sing for your supper, mate. You play... Oh. You play a young Marcus in, yes. in White Lines. 
Can you tell us what this show is all about? We have uh, a murder thriller, Who Did It, set on the islands of Ibiza, and it's told across two timelines. So you have present day, which is where Zoe Axel's sister is trying to discover what happened to her brother when he went missing 20 years ago from Ibiza. And as she goes on this journey of discovery and self-discovery, it flashes back to another timeline, which is in the 90s, and you find out throughout the series what happened to Axel and his group of friends as they left Manchester and went to Ibiza to take over. But that that just scrapes the surface for where this show goes. It's mad. Now, I know you're very familiar with Ibiza as it exists now. I've, I've seen you in <laughs> I've seen you in Cafe Mambo, mate. I know you are. You're very familiar with modern day Ibiza, but it was a pretty different place back then. Did you need to go on a 90s IB for crash course yeah to a degree I mean um kind of just a 90s crash course as a whole um because the story begins in Manchester that's where we're from and the 90s for Manchester was such a formative time you know it was it was this outburst of energy and creativity we had the football team sadly not my team Manchester City but Manchester United were doing half all right although City were, were coming up strong back end of the 90s um the the music scene within Manchester was absolutely flying we had so many brilliant bands and artists coming from there and we were at the epicenter of this underground movement of house dance and techno and, and all these main mainstream sounds that we hear now so it was kind of having to throw ourselves into the 90s not just Ibiza but also being brought up to speed on on what Ibiza was like back then and and basically my research told me that if there was ever a time to be in Ibiza I think it was the 90s. Miranda did you ever go to Ibiza in the 90s? Yes I did it was um yeah it was quite bonkers it was like it's, it's kind of imagine, how you imagine, really. It was just like a never-ending party. There was always something to go to. It was always like, you know, that feeling where um, everything's a bit of an adventure. So somebody's got an idea and somebody else is happening over there and you better go and meet here and you've got to be at this time and you're in a group and then you lose them. It's interesting, Ibiza, because it's always been an island of a huge mix of people. So it's got a huge kind of range of... Um, artists and bohemians and it's not just all ravers and I think that they, they that's tried to be brought out a bit in, in white lines but that's the main thing that you realise once you calm down a bit with the raving you realise that it's actually quite an interesting island and there's lots of it, it's kind of madder than you might imagine but not in a mad for it way if you see what I mean As somebody who has been to Ibiza in that kind of that golden era that the, the 90s was for Ibiza. Why do you think it is that Brits fell in love with the island? Because the two countries have had this intrinsic love affair for decades. You know, I mean, I think people forget, but when Rave started, actually the licensing laws were quite rubbish in the UK. And, you know, clubs just used to go on till two and then there was, you know, the Hacienda shut at two and then there was a, a late night kind of thing that you would go to. And in Spain, they were never, never felt like that. Like, it felt like everything started later, lasted longer, went on all night. So there was that kind of freedom of it always and it's so um intense and there's so much going on at all times that it's it it really is a non-stop party which sounds really naff but you know there always was something going on that you could go to that you could blag in or somebody could get you in or whatever and it was that that was the adventure as well as the music really and i think british people love that they just want to be busy we love it we do (laughs) and rishi you're hearing us talk about the british love affair with ibifa i'd love to know has Ibiza hit the States in the same way as it has in the UK? I know you guys love your spring break 
and you love Palm Springs and you love Cancun, but what's Ibiza to somebody in the States? It's definitely not the same thing as it is in the UK. I think, you know, there's certainly a contingent of a kind of music fan who loves, you know, especially in the 90s where they would make a pilgrimage um, to to try and experience that. But um, but I feel it, it didn't have the same kind of mainstream uh, appeal or understanding uh, over here. How do you I guys my, even my... say Ibiza? <laughs> <laughs> really hoping you weren't going to... Make me, I, I don't know if you noticed how carefully I avoided saying it. Do you guys say Ibiza? What do you say? I think uh, I think it depends on how pretentious you are. Um, you know, it's. I found this great uh, article on Vice that said what what your pronunciation of of Ibiza says about you or Ibiza, whatever. It says every type of clubber has their own special way of butchering the island's name. It's really great. Uh, number one is the drunk Brit. Uh, Oi Bifa. <laughs> oi Bifa. Oi, oi. Pretentious music snob is Ibiza or Ibiza. The nightlife professional is Ibiza. And uh, and then the puzzled American, <laughs> Ibiza. <laughs> Spot on. Kel, you were you were obviously you were part of the team making the series. How much were the, the Spaniards on you guys to, to say Ibiza? <laughs> Oh, bang on it, bang on it, and and also the the other the other pronunciation was paella, which is paella. That was funny as well because actually, as a mank, and especially the that real old school Mancunian tone, it was probably more ibifa. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so we had all sorts of pronunciations going on, but the one that the that our Spanish cast really didn't like probably was the the strong mank pronunciation because they were just like that doesn't even sound like the place that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Netflix is it's absolutely teeming with music films and docu-series. And I'd love to know what you guys recommend under this umbrella of music. Um, I thought I'd kick off because I've I've given the most I've given most of them a go. I'm not gonna lie. I have I've really I've really watched a lot in recent weeks. Um, of course, there's the Defiant Ones, uh, an incredible story about one of music's most successful partnerships. Uh, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine. Um, it's in four parts and deservedly so. It's a great story. But for me, the ultimate music program film documentary on Netflix is Homecoming. What I really want to do is be a representative of my race, of the human race. Tell the truth. Live in the present. Don't deny the past. the build-up of Beyonce's 2018 headline performance at Coachella. It walks you through the preparation for Coachella. So you get the performance in, in bits, but you kind of, you jump to her rehearsing for that bit and then you get the performance. But I think the, the most personal part of it is she's coming off the back of having the, the twins, right? Beyonce had these two babies and then went straight into Coachella mode and she went into it like a military operation so she's literally just had these babies and she's trying to get in shape lose the weight so she goes on this like vegan diet it's crazy you see how dedicated she is almost psychopathically dedicated to <laughs> the show right and it's that build-up though I think that is a, is a huge triumph because you're seeing that 
the amount of work that it takes to be a Beyonce is absolute. It is, it's insane. And I think what Homecoming does is for all those people sitting at home saying, I could do that. It says, you know what? No, you can't. I never want to meet somebody who (laughs) experiences Beyonce in any kind of form and thinks I can do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rishi, are there, are there any plans for Jay or Beyonce on, on Song Exploder? I'm in my head. Yes. I'm ready tomorrow. They haven't which song my would call you? Which song would you like her to do? Oh, good question. Good question. It's funny with the uh, with the podcast. I usually try and put it on on the artist because I feel like they know. The thing I ask them is, what's the song that means the most to them? The one that they have the most personal connection to? Because you know, sometimes the biggest hits aren't necessarily the ones that have the most interesting backstory. And it's easy to tell which ones are the big hits, but it isn't, you know, but you don't know what their personal relationship is. Only they do. So I would do whatever they want is the, is the short answer. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I don't think Beyonce. anyone says, Beyonce, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck being that person. <laughs> Rishi, yeah. what, what, is, what is your big music recommendation on, on Netflix? I mean, there's so much good stuff, but I wanted to give a special shout out to Hip Hop Evolution, uh, which is a show about really the the history of hip hop uh, from from its origins to the modern day. In 97, they didn't treat themselves like rappers. They treated themselves like rock stars. The commercialization of hip hop was just blatant. At the same time, there was a whole community that was like, yo, we're going to raise our fists. To keep this going strong. There was a war going on for the soul of hip-hop. This deserves a better space than a street corner. And specifically, I wanted, if people are, haven't watched it at all, uh, I wanted to specifically shout out Season 4, Episode 3. There's an episode called Super Producers, which is, I think, my favorite episode uh, that they've done. This one focuses on a few different producers who broke out from just being sort of producers behind the scene to becoming superstars themselves. And uh, the way that the story is told is fantastic. And and despite being a big fan of a lot of these producers, I didn't realize how interconnected they were. So the the episode starts off talking about Teddy Riley, who's, you know, a huge R&B producer. He created the sound of New Jack Swing and then chronicles how he, he moved from New York to Virginia Beach and then sets up shop in Virginia Beach and basically creates a new scene out of in, in a place where there was no scene. And out of that, through like a talent competition, he discovers the Neptunes. And then their success ends up leading to Timbaland and Missy Elliott's success because they, you know, tapped them and brought them in. I don't think I ever realized quite how directly linked those three stories were. It's really fascinating. Plus, the, plus there's also a focus in that episode about Jay Dilla, who is another hero of mine, and also the rise of Kanye West. That is a great recommendation. Speak, speaking of uh, producers, have you watched Rapture, Rishi? Oh, yeah, I have. I haven't watched every episode yet. Have you seen the Just Blaze episode? Oh, yeah, I love Just Blaze. Because oh, I was going to say, anybody who, once you've watched Hip Hop Evolutions, I would say the, the go-to thing after that episode you've just spoken about, Super Producers, is the Just Blaze episode of Rapture, which 100%. is... That is, file those next to each other. If you like this, you'll definitely love that. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's a great double feature. Right? That is that is somebody's evening sorted there, Rishi. Yeah. We've just done somebody <laughs> a solid on that. Um, Miranda, where where do we go from super producers? <laughs> Let's go somewhere else, super. <laughs> Let's go to uh, Supersonic. So it's like, uh, it seemed fairly obvious, given that um, we were talking about IBFA, 
Ibiza were, um, uh, in the 90s. There was another kind of uh, big explosion that came from Manchester uh, in the 90s, and that was Oasis. And uh, Supersonic is the uh, Matt Wycross uh, documentary, and it's it just tells the story of Oasis, and that might seem, you know, an obvious thing to do, but it's what's really interesting about it, I think, is that Oasis, they were like a firework, they were like... Um, an evening of fireworks that just went off and went and then just stopped because it happened so quick. I remember seeing them in at the Astoria in London in like 95. Yeah, it must be, no, earlier, 93, 94. I can't remember. My dates are all mixed up because of the 90s. But like <laughs> uh, they, they, they came on stage and they were fully formed. Honestly, they were just, they were properly fully formed. And as soon as they walked on stage and played, you thought, oh, that's it. They are they are just going to be massive. You could feel it, and that's that happens quite rarely, I think. No one had ever come along that was even remotely like us. Their debut album is already the classic of our time. Then it just blew up. The most popular rock and roll band in Britain today. And the other thing that I found really interesting is that in um, bands generally, there's a relationship, whatever that relationship it is, could be Lennon and McCartney or whatever. You'll go through all bands, they have it. And it's a love affair stroke hate affair between two people. And in Oasis, it's so obvious. I mean, you know, we don't need to say who it is, but that's what that relationship is. And bands need that kind of mad love and tension or something doesn't happen. But in their case, because they're brothers and they literally shared a bedroom when they were kids, it's the tension is just unbelievable and it just has to kind of break in the end. So, I mean, I also know quite a lot of people, and not me, mostly men, who literally had a midlife crisis after watching that, uh, <laughs> that documentary <laughs> because it brought back their youth in such kind of like romantic detail that they were like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I now live this really boring life, you know, like you do in your middle age, you know, where you've got kids and everything's quite normal. And they just kind of, like, they practically wanted to chuck it all up and, like, join a band. It's terrible, you know, you have to watch who, <laughs> who watches that one. <laughs> Be careful about, you know, somebody in their forties. Kel, you're, you're from Manchester. Oasis, Oasis are the kings yes. of, Ma sorry, Manchester. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what do Oasis mean to you? You know, they're, they're, a, they're a part of our identity and we've also got the added bonus that they, um, they're a massive Manchester City fans. So I know that their heart is in the right place. Um, <laughs> I think they, they, they just represent everything that we love about our own identity. And, and the fact that there's still this want for them to just reunite says everything. And I think we'll be wishing that um, until it happens. That's crazy that that's, that's translated even down to your generation, Kel, because you're like 12 years old, which is incredible. Uh, <laughs> well, it's one of those I things. Think. Is they're a bit like the Beatles, aren't they? Always yeah. just for people like you. <laughs> they, 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 well, no, maybe not quite the Beatles, but that, they, that's it. They, they, they'll, they'll go across generations upon generations. You know, my kids will be brought up listening to Oasis and, and their kids will be there. Their music is timeless. There was a great thing, I can't remember where I read it, but just talking about... On, on any of their records, there's there's at least four or five songs that everyone will know the words to up and down the country for generations to come. Some probably won't know why, but they'll still know the words to Champagne yeah. Supernova. Rishi, did, did any of this translate to America at all when it came to uh, Oasis? Oasis were enormous. I think that was maybe, it was among the first songs I ever uh, learned on guitar because it was like, whether you were an Oasis fan or not, that was just one of the songs that you learned how to play on guitar in the 90s. You know, it's just... Wonderwall was was the the song that just everybody played. The thing that's interesting to me though is I've you know Kel hearing you say that 
that they did so much to sort of expose the world to Manchester in terms of music, because I thought that that door had already been blown wide open, you know, by the factory records era, like New Order. I didn't realize that they had uh, changed things so much. I mean, no, you're so right. The whole Hacienda scene, Factory Records and, you know, Happy Mondays, um, Joy Division really did. But they were kind of all part of that time. I guess with Oasis, though, they kind of also did what Stowe Roses weren't able to do is that they were able to bring, you know, a Manchester band to America and, and become this global force. I think they were the first ones to do that, really. But they were they were part of what was that collective explosion in, in Factory Records, like you say. But they just took it to a different level. Yeah. And also they kind of, weirdly, it all carried on quite quickly. So in the mid-80s, you know, there was like this, you know, the Smiths and there was Joy Division and then it turned into New Order and there was the Hacienda. And then like that was, I mean, the Hacienda shut in 97. And before that, Oasis was happening. So it's like it was, it was another kind of wave coming mm. through from Manchester and also I mean I know that people might think oh it's really bad they moved to London but I think because they moved to London it actually made them bigger because you know tabloids only want to write about people that are just around the corner they can't be bothered to go they're not going to go to Manchester and write about anybody so they were all in like Primrose Hill I mean they were so close they were in the pubs in Primrose Hill so they became like kind of little caricatures as well in the way that New Order never did you know, New Order are massive in America. They're a huge, huge band. But that kind of funny, that weird cartoonification of their characters never happened because they weren't in London. Beautifully said, Miranda. Kel, we haven't got a recommendation from you. What What would be your must-watch? The one I went for was, was one that I watched during my research for White Lines, actually, and it's called What We Started, which basically charts the, the rise and, and the movement of electronic dance music. So it takes you kind of through three decades really of the 80s 90s and into the 2000s of course kind of starting in Detroit and then how it kind of then gravitated over towards the UK and in Manchester and in little pockets in London and then how it went over to Ibiza and then became the mainstream genre that we all know and love. This music used to be a little secret but if you have something great you want to share it with as many people as possible. Everything like that feels like it's gone so quickly. I'd never thought it was going to come so far. We're now in a global billion-dollar industry. Once the world was able to hear me with David Guetta and now Martin Garrett's, that creates an entire new movement. What's up, Miami? But it has everyone and anyone that was, you know, crucial within that movement from your Carl Cox to, you know, Pete Tong um, to Afrojack, Steve Angelo, um, Eric Morello, and then right up into Martin Garrix, you know. So you get this complete picture of how we came to... Uh, basically listen to and, and love this electronic dance music um it's, it's it's a really fascinating watch and you kind of you forget as much like with Beyonce you know you we only ever see things on the face of it we never really get to see what goes in behind the scenes and, and the 10-15 years of hard work that got it to that point and it's incredible to see a genre of music that that was so underground and that was part of what I loved about it was in that 80s and 90s time it was one of those like oh you know about this I know that you know, but no one else knows. And you, you were part of this tiny, close-knit, small little group underground that had, that had discovered this pearl, this gem that no, none of the rest of the world knew about yet. And, and you can't help but watch it 
one with a smile on your face but secondly not wanting to go out and have a good dance and party and I think anything that makes you feel something like that is well worth a watch What do you think makes a good music documentary because obviously all the ones we've spoken about are, are very different artists from Oasis uh, to Pharrell Beyonce what do you think what are the ingredients they need to have to work I think the one thing about the you know you can see it really clearly in the Beyonce uh, doc that you need to have a well told story more than anything you you can't just have it be you know you're going to throw uh these famous personalities up on screen and and i mean you can do that but then you end up sometimes with just something that appeals to the super fans only you know i'll i'll watch 2 hours of them just because i'll absorb everything that they say if you're going to make something that actually transcends that and and appeals to people who are not necessarily their fans then you really need to be able to have a beginning, middle, and end, you know, an arc in the in the story. And um, with something so tightly uh, bookended, like the like in Homecoming, where you know, okay, here's where she is when she begins, and then it ends in this very epic kind of climax. It's really, uh, you know, the steps are kind of laid out for you, and, and then it's just a matter of crafting it. So I think having a tight concept to begin with is really, uh, really important. For sure. And I guess you, you want them to not feel like... PR exercises, right? Right. Yeah, very much so. And also you want them... It's interesting with music because I think music as an art form, there's a lot of cliches around music that we bring very quickly to a music story. And you feel like, you know, even if we just say the difficult second album or whatever, there's always loads and loads of cliches around it and around genres. And I think that if you can avoid that, you know, we've all seen those documentaries where they go... Britain in the 60s was this kind of place. And then you just see the same stock footage like over and over. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same even with rave. You'll see the same people raving, you know, (laughs) that you've seen a million times before. And you think there just has to be, even if you have access to somebody, there has to be a way in, something different. I mean, there was, um, did anyone see that documentary that Shane Meadows made about the Stone Roses? Oh, yeah. And that was really interesting because none of them spoke directly at all. Like, he just filmed them when they were rehearsing and then he had that great section with the fans, which was just completely brilliant because then you learn everything you wanted to know about the Stone Roses through the fans. So there's you've got to go about it in a different way, I think, or it is stuff you already know, the, the kind of um, the fairy story of music. We know it. Well, guys, you've given us some incredible music recommendations. Before I let you go, I'd love to know, what's the concert you wish had been filmed? I'm starting with you, Rishi. The one that I wish I could relive uh, was seeing Fugazi uh, for the first time. And I don't think that I've ever felt like a sense of community in a room. You know, it was maybe a four or five hundred person club. Um, so so not huge, but it was it was the summer. It was really hot and sweaty. And uh, and just everybody was having such an incredible time. And for me, it was the first time, you know, getting to sing along with these songs that I'd lived with for so long. I would love to be able to put that in some kind of form that I could, you know, I could relive that. Well, Rishi, you've got your memories, my friend. That's right. (laughs) Miranda, what is the concert you wish had been filmed? It was interesting, you know, when you were talking about how you really, everyone wanted Oasis to reform, there was a point where... um, Blur, which, you know, obviously not meant to mention at the same time as Oasis, but <laughs> they were like, they, you know, they had a terrible time, they split up and they got back to, uh, together again and they played a gig in um, in Goldsmiths when they uh, came back together again. And uh, it was tiny, 
the ceilings were really low. I mean, they were, you know, the PR was passing out earplugs um, ear before it even started because you knew it was going to be really loud. And to be in a room where they played those songs that you really love, that you've seen before, I've seen Blur loads of times, but they, they, that they played those songs again in that room, honestly, it was completely, I was like, it blew my head off because I felt like it was never going to happen again. And then they did go on and they kind of performed again, but they're not going to do it now. You know, that's yeah. kind of it. Mm. And to see and to have that knowledge that, that that actually it won't really happen again. Because I think when you're young, you're a bit like, oh, yeah, brilliant. I love this band. I'll go see them. But they don't, it it ends, you know, it yeah. does end. And for it to come back again, it was, I just found it completely moving. It was in um, New Cross and I live in Brixton, which for anyone in South London, it's quite a long way. And honestly, I walked halfway home afterwards. I was just like, oh. You oh, walked wow. New it Cross so to Brixton. wonderful. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> Kel, what about you? The one for me, and it was brought to my attention uh, through the documentary Marley about Bob Marley, who is who is one of my heroes. And it was his One Love concert that took place. I think it was, I think it was around that seventy eight, seventy nine time, and um, it, it took part in in Kingston. And at the time, if you please go and watch the doc, by the way, but Jamaica was a, it was really at war with itself. You kind of had the, the Jamaican Labour Party and the People's National Party going hell for leather at each other. And he put on this concert that was, that was non-political and brought Jamaica together. The political war going on pushed Bob to become the political force we know today as Bob Marley. We do not defend Marxism, nor capitalism. We are strictly Rasta. He was changing people's hearts and minds with music, and that was why Bob was such a threat. Bob knew that he was setting himself up as a target, but he was going to risk his own life to unite the people. And for me, it just seemed to have captured who Bob was and also what music is, that it transcends everything and it should bring everyone together. And I just think it would have been magical. I mean, there was even a point where I think tear gas was released in the crowd and there's a clip of him like singing through while kind of wiping his eyes and then his band are going off and he kind of wanders off and he says, we're not done. We're going back on. We're going to keep on singing. And I just I'll get goosebumps now when I talk about it because I just think that that must have just been... Yeah. been incredible to be at. so I wish you could capture that film and I could could go and watch that it that would be there's that incredible moment as well where he's got the kind of two opposing leaders um, up on stage and it's like imagine imagine a documentary oh but who shot the sheriff uh, a new Netflix documentary centred around that 1976 yes. um, assassination attempt on Bob Marley it's actually on Netflix right now and it's an it's an incredible watch it's it it's a tightly focused film it's a very provocative way of looking at new music as well it's a it's an incredible music documentary so be sure to check that out guys it's been an absolute pleasure kel of course white lines available now to watch on netflix as well yeah strap yourself in enjoy the ride honestly it is brilliantly bonkers and it goes places that you don't think it will you go surely it won't go there we most definitely do when Alex Pienaar is behind the wheels. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Honestly, it was, it was a real, real buzz and I'm very proud to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Rishi, Miranda, Kel. Thank you for joining us on What to Watch on Netflix. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It wouldn't be Series 2 without the voice of Netflix HQ. I heard your screams. I saw the hashtag Bring Back Gina. I saw the Gina's fan club. I saw it. Your prayers have been answered. She is back. Gina, hello. Welcome to season two. Hello. I'm so happy we're back. We're back for another season. We're talking music shows on Netflix. What is the music documentary for you 
on Netflix right now. One of my favourites, I would say. Do you know what? This took me by surprise. Lady Gaga's documentary, music documentary. It's called Five Foot Two. I didn't. I haven't watched it. Is it? Is it good? It is. It is genuinely so good. I find music documentaries fascinating anyway because I just love to see what these celebrities get up to. She's just very like creative and like kind of hippie and like just going through all these things. The way she makes music is really interesting and random celebrities pop up like Mark Ronson. Really great. I really enjoyed it. Another one for the list, Lady Gaga, Five Foot Two. But right now, Gina, you're here to tell us what is new on Netflix today. Hit me. Today, 29th of May, Space Force comes to you. It drops. It's dropped today. If you haven't heard of it, you haven't seen any trailers or anything like that, if you were a big fan of The Office US... Steve Carell stars in this show. It's also brought to you by the same people who did The Office. It's a comedy and it's essentially about, how do I even tie this up in like very few words, you know, I could talk forever. The president decides that he wants to have complete dominance over space, decides to create a new government branch called Space Force. And who does he decide to run that branch? Steve Carell. When I was a child, our country... Put a man on the moon. We're going back. Shit. How many times do I need to apologize? Chaos ensues. That's all I can say. Chaos ensues from there. He's very much, he kind of reminds me of a similar character to the guy that he plays in The Office. Um, but yeah, really funny. If The president wants to take over space. Yes, yes. Is this a documentary? Because it sounds, it sounds very, it sounds feasible. It, it does. It's giving me mockumentary vibes, but um, it is indeed fictional for now. Um, and yeah, so yeah, really great. Loads of great guest stars. Lisa Kudrow's in it. Obviously she was Phoebe and Friends. Um, Sold. You know what I mean? When I saw like, I the guest stars pop up in the trailer, I was like, what? John Malkovich, like there, yeah, it's definitely one one to watch for sure. Okay, adding that to the list. What else you got? This didn't drop today, but it's dropped a couple of days ago. And if you haven't seen it yet or haven't had the chance to, I definitely recommend it. I don't know if you watched um, the comedy stand-up special um, from Hannah Gadsby, who did Nanette. No, I haven't seen this one. And I feel like I battered the stand-up specials. It was really funny, but also like gut-wrenching. There were moments of pure like mouth open, you know, really just thinking about the world, state of affairs. And so she's back with her second Netflix special. And this one is called Douglas, named after her pet dog. Fine. Douglas the dog, (laughs) fine. Douglas the dog, yes. And I mean, it's going to be a tough one to follow that first one because that first one was really well received. But if you were a fan of Nanette and you've seen that and you're looking for more of Hannah Gadsby or you weren't able to see that and looking for some fresh comedy, definitely give that a watch. This is all good stuff, Gina. This is why we need you. Is there more? Okay, so I've given you a comedy. I've given you a comedy special. Here's another thing that's dropped this week, but is um, a more serious series called Snowpiercer. This is a new series and this is essentially class divisions on a train essentially. So the posh rich people are kind of like living at the front of the train and the people with the who are poorer and are treated not as well are at the back of the train and they attempt to overthrow the train but lots of madness ensues and there's all sorts of secrets on this train and like who's even driving the train and like also it's really cold outside all the time I, I don't really know but it's, it's, it's very like class struggle in transit exactly so if you're looking for something with a bit more intrigue you know a, a little dark um, a sort of keep you on your toes 
Snowpiercer's the one. Mr. Wilford would like to address the rumors of disturbances in the tale. Let me assure you, your security is our highest priority. Order will be restored. Gina, thank you so much, You're as welcome. always, I'm, for your recommendations. We will, we will see you next week for yet more things to watch on Netflix. Because we're not going anywhere, so sure, you will. This is this is it. This we are stuck on this loop. Yes. For the foreseeable. Indeed. So so please compile another list for us okay. because we will burn through those things you just mentioned today. Yes. <laughs> Gina, always a pleasure. See you next week. See you. Bye. Right, that's it for this week. We hope it's put a tune in your whistle and has gone a little way to fit in that Glastonbury boomtown or Notting Hill Carnival Hole for the time being. Next week, we're getting to grips with reality TV from Love is Blind to Too Hot to Handle. We've got it covered. See you then. What to Watch on Netflix is hosted by me, Dottie, and is written and produced by Jamie East. Editing and additional production comes from Cup and Nuzzle. What are you watching on Netflix? We'd love to know. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Netflix UK. Netflix UK.